Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to my rip with Ben Cousins joining us on the Once Bitten podcast today from Zebedee. Do you know who Zebedee are or what Zebedee do and their tie-in with gaming? If not, you're about to find out. Ben and I go on this random detour of history and languages and money and I hope you enjoy it. It was a very, very natural discussion. Just started straight on the front foot. You know what it's like when you get a couple of Bitcoiners together. You cannot stop talking. Uh, That's why you should meet more of them. And you should try the Orange Peel app because that's what the Orange Peel app is designed to do. It's on Apple, not on Android yet. It is on Apple and people are already meeting each other. Go check it out. Don't take my word for it. Be, Be warned. You do have to pay for it because if something's free, you are the product. And it's like three bucks a month or something. So it's not going to break your bank. And now you can pay with Lightning. Make sure you're stacking your sats though, guys. You know who the show sponsors are by this point if you've been listening for a while. If you're new here, welcome. Make sure you stack with Bitcoin-only companies. You can look at the following. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. They're based out of the U.S., they are a DCA service, that's dollar cost average, but you can also use their private service if you want somebody on the end of the phone and if you are looking to allocate $100,000 or more over the next calendar year. In Europe, we have the same service offered to you by Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch. You can download the app and start stacking up to 1,000 Swiss or Euros per day very low KYC, I think none actually under that benchmark. And um, yeah, start your journey. You can use any one of your um, payment methods that you like and you're off to the races. You can use coincorner.com based out of the Isle of Man. They can accept sterling and euro and they can offer you merchant accounts. If you are trying to orange pill your local pub, your local butch, your local hairdresser, whatever it is, and they're worried about accepting Bitcoin, they can simply open a merchant account with Coin Corner, accept the Bitcoin that you're willing to pay, and they can receive pounds or euros. They don't even have to hold the Bitcoin, but it gives you that option, and it gives them the ability to offer a customer another payment method. Make sure you are taking control of your coins. Try CoinJoin service, wasabiwallet.io. Once you self-custody from the app or from the uh, exchange that you are using, this will help you break ties to that company if you've gone through KYC process, which most of us have. And um, yeah, it's it's dead easy. Wasabiwallet.io. Receive and play around with it. Then take those coins and get them on a brand new hardware wallet. Don't mix your hardware wallets. You want a KYC free one. Uh, you can use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and the code bitten for the Bitbox 2 hardware only wallet. And that will um, give you a 5% discount. If you want to go just purely peer to peer for your Bitcoin, KYC free, you can use hodl hodl forward slash bitten 
and that will save you on trade commissions. Here's my rip with Ben from Zebedee. Yeah, we're recording, Lauren, so there's no prep. If there's any questions, you have to ask Ben directly. Okay. Nice to meet you, Ben, by the way. Nice to meet you, too. Hello, <laughs> Lauren. What's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Um, how liberating it is. Did it help you liberate, or...? uh personally yes i haven't liberated anywhere yet though that sounds very revolutionary <laughs> do you do you understand what the word liberate means or liberate freedom yes absolutely and if you think about the uh the, the french word libre yeah it means free right yeah and so we're, we're back to latin roots there you go ladies and gentlemen 101 homeschooling right there first first yeah. one minute of this podcast I did uh, French and Spanish at university, actually. So I did a lot of that, like, derivation of word stuff. I find it quite interesting. It's fascinating. And it, it, it only having lived in France as it all started clicking for me, where when you get back to the root of where the, the word has come from, or even what I find quite fun, some of the sayings, you know, where, where the sayings come mm -hmm. from and, and how they overlap with uh, with the English language. Now, how the English language, you know, when you're born into something, you just take it for granted. We take it for granted that English is the international language of the world and English is the most influential language of the world. And English has always existed, which is a complete and utter total nonsense. You know, like parts yeah. of, parts of, you know, huge swathes of the south of Great Britain spoke French for centuries yeah that's true yeah. and english is a complete you know it's derivation path for for you know to use an, a bitcoin analogy is directly linked to french and german mm -hmm. and latin obviously italian uh, and it's just an amalgamation of all of those things put together and we've reached consensus on how it should be spelt and well, and then the Americans come along and tried to soft fork it and failed, by the way, <laughs> all of you, all of you 50% of American listeners with your weird spelling and your, uh, your, your ministry of spelling over there, which if you haven't been down that rabbit hole is fascinating in itself, where they tried to uh, eliminate uh, useless vowels in English words and create their own mm. set of um, words uh, and their own set of language that I suppose so, Lauren. Yeah, uh, that they wanted to innovate and uh, break away from from the motherland by by removing by removing the uh, the letter U in the word humor or color. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> but there was a ministry for that. Uh, it's very Orwellian. But anyway, Lauren, sorry, we've gone off on a tangent here. Were you done with questions, or did you have one more? You were okay. Lovely to meet you. Uh, yeah, wow, we got right into a deep one there. Um, and, and, and that <laughs> rabbit being, hole. I was, yeah, I go was ahead. Say, I was re I'm reading um, a book called "The Wealth and Poverty of Nations" at the moment, which is like a really grand title. Um, but so far, I'm not far through. I'm like a fifth of the way through right now. It's like um, a historical. It's kind of like how *Sapiens* was written as a history of humanity. This is kind of like a history of nation states. Um, 
and their relative successes and failures. And he kind of posits whether or not it's geography that led to their success or whether it was human ingenuity or cultural stuff uh, and finds in general so far that it's kind of a mix of all of them. But um, it makes you acutely aware. I've just got to the kind of industrial revolution part of the world uh, and you get very aware that it, it re things really do go in cycles, right? You had the you had the Chinese were the first to sail and go around, like start visiting other parts of the world by boat, um, but they weren't doing it for trade. They turned up to be like, look at us uh, and kind of show off the power and might of their nation, and in a non-combative uh, way. It should be noted. Uh, right. It was the Portuguese. It was the Portuguese who then went then like sailed around the Horn of Africa, and anyway. It's very interesting because you learn how yeah English becoming a global language is very far from an inevitability. And if you look at like the growth in Spanish uh, speaking uh, around the world as well, that's you know language doesn't necessarily language just like money is not a fixed thing in time. Like it can change. And I've just looked it up on on Amazon. It's written by David S. Landes. Land. Long? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to now search that on audible and see if i might be able to um download that uh because yeah i i'm i'm really getting into this historical stuff and how it ties in with bitcoin um and yeah language because when it comes to it as we all know if you've been down the bitcoin rabbit hole long enough uh it is language it is you know ones and zeros it is speech it is communication all of these other analogies uh and when you when you do study history, I was on a podcast recently, uh, Clint's podcast, Liberty Lockdown, and he said the the best advice he was ever given by a very successful entrepreneur was read your history. And it's something that seems to be very prevalent in the Bitcoin space. People are just digging into history wherever their interest is taking them and then sharing that with the rest of the community. And a, a perfect example Breed loves two pieces, you know, Bitcoin and the number zero was an mm -hmm. excellent piece, exploring ancient mathematics and the discovery of the number zero. And his other piece, uh, Masters of um, uh, Slaves and Money. Uh, yes. Gosh, it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Exploring the relevance of the, um, of how the, you know, the, the, the plunder of, humanity basically uh from the african nations uh via the the method of inflation of of, of marble agribeads um is crazy and you read that history and it's a direct link to what we're seeing now and very few of us are seeing now in this space uh, in regards to understanding what bitcoin means for humanity mm. Yeah, and it's like the old saying, right? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I kind of see that a lot in today's world. And it's rhyming oh too loudly at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't like to, I think the, I think all of us are very susceptible as in, all, all, as in people are very susceptible in the internet era to drawing conclusions as, as like fait accompli when they are, things don't necessarily move at the speed of the internet when you're talking about like geopolitical trends, macroeconomics, things like that. Um, 
I've really started to notice that sort of news news thing comes out tweets come out to, with like hot takes on it and everyone knows this phenomenon right but there it's because hot take culture became gamified and like a, and then manipulated people try to take this kind of um slight distant observer tone in their commentary of markets and, and offering it less as a personal opinion and more like i'm collating these three data points and i'm presenting them to you here but it doesn't it just i still don't believe it means anything it's just another data point to add to the current data forming but i i would say that it is um manifestly clear that the trend of like if you're if you're primed to think in a bitcoin way the trend of of uh debt spiraling like public or state debt spiraling out of control and uh opening up a, a window of opportunity for bitcoiners money it is it does seem to look like that could well be happening and if you kind of i mean how long did it take for rome to fall right we, we that that's a great analogy that we always like to fall back on is like look what ruined the roman empire it was the debasement of the currency and the whole thing just fell into a complete and absolute shambles and ruins you know rome wasn't mm. built in a day but it wasn't wrecked in a day either right <laughs> unlike ftx which was wrecked in a day uh yeah things do take time but we are 13 years into this call it monetary experiment where we have found by fluke or by chance or by hard work, who knows, it, it, discovery, invention, you know, the jury's out. But we have this thing now. We have Bitcoin. We're 13, 14 years into this project and people like you and I have pinned pretty much everything onto it. Mm. But there's only very few of us out there that have done that and have seen this. Yeah, I, th I think there are certain levels of um, of like learning that, any individual can get to where at some point something opens up in their head like i'm really you know like i really might be believing this or i'm really building conviction here um cert certainly for me i've not been interested at all in market chatter about bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency uh for quite some time now and i'd say it was it coincided with um two sort of observations one was like a, a friend who's the type to want to remain anon so i'm not going to dox them but a friend said to me um uh bitcoin is just maths and game theory and that it's literally it and the rest of it is things working them their way out and i thought yes it really is that it's and then the second piece that sort of married with that to give me a, a real you know boatload of uh conviction in the protocol was uh, it was probably Gigi or someone I made the point about the fact that you can do, uh, to put it in blunt speak, you can do Bitcoin on pen and paper. Like it's because it's maths, you can you could run the Bitcoin protocol in a warehouse with maybe 2000 people uh, hashing right on pen and paper. Uh, you might get to like a transaction a day or something, but you could you could do it. Um, it's it's not out of the realm of possibilities. It's the fact that we have computers makes the concept the mathematical way of doing this scalable um and i i i know that very very few people are anywhere near the realization that like it, it truly is just maths uh, i know everyone there's there's memes and ways of, of quipping it as like trust the code and all of that kind of stuff but you know the, there's a difference between repeating a meme and then like under understanding the the the, the truth of the statement
I suppose. Um, so when those two things happened, I, I genuinely just mentally it became a waiting game. And I don't know if we're going to see uh, really enormous scaled Bitcoin adoption until our you know later stages in our lives um, or if internet growth trends just conspire to compound adoption rates of something that is that has fundamentally been analog moving digital I, I i don't know there's there's like open questions there and i really don't like kind of forecasting like some sort of savant i don't like doing that it's um i just think on i like i like thinking on balances of probabilities and i and personally i land very 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 bullish on bitcoin i probably uh um I have my own ability to estimate when things might happen or be adopted is probably far too biased to it being sooner rather than later. Um, but I do think that over like, yeah, that the next 30 or 40 years, if it matches kind of internet adoption within about 20 years, it will be painfully obvious how disruptive it has been. And there'll be significant percentages of the world, you know, doing, uh, conducting economic activity on a Bitcoin, on Bitcoin, the protocol on a Bitcoin standard, however you want to put it. Um, controversially, perhaps, I don't think, uh, I'm not necessarily sure that you get like one coin to rule them all in several senses. Maybe like, here's a lot, the logic I come at that from is like, you always in computers, you've always had an alternative, right? You've had uh, Mac and Windows, you've had iOS, Android, you've always got like Linux, Unix, like other alternatives out there. But there's even when there's like an absolute monster that dominates the market, there's like a there's an there's an alternative, um, and it's not to say I don't believe that everything will revolve around Bitcoin because I do. I think that there can be only one uh, reserve asset, right? In the same way that the dollar is the global reserve asset, but will the dollar disappear? Will Bitcoin be the primary asset that backs the dollar, and we actually wind up spending dollars on Bitcoin rails, but everything is backed by dollar by Bitcoin the asset instead of debt? These things like. You just don't know. And and it's very hard to explain like how it, I, that's why I don't like being a savant. Like it's like, you, I, you can just be so far off. Um, it, it poses numerous questions in many different directions. Like I, you know, lightning to me uh, really upends that notion that it could be a central banking reserve asset. And actually it does feel like cash in the hands of people. Um, so I, I don't like to predict where and how it shapes up, but I have absolutely zero doubt that it is a, fundamental innovation that like is here to stay and will change uh the way we do business and the way human beings trade with one another like very fundamentally uh, and will it'll be looked back it'll probably be lumped in with like the industrial revolution and then you you have what we call the information revolution but it you know may increasingly just be called the internet revolution or the digital revolution where we progressively as a species just turned everything into something digital and not something physical that we could yeah, I see it as um, not a financial revolution, but human evolution. Yeah, it, it it does seem to follow the arc of technology to to my mind. If you're looking at like technology as being the wheel as well, or fire, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, we had we had uh, analogs. We had um, you know we we used money in terms of money concept of money, gold beads, shells, whatever they are. Like we used that. Um, as a technology to enable trade but the model the setup of the world as it evolved we didn't have um there was no means of coordinating globally there's no means of reaching consensus right so now and now we've 
the first solution was to do it as humans. So you build human consensus, but then the money, when you relate it to money, money is, is therefore inherently political. Um, it's I view proof of stake as in its most simple form as being adding politics to money. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you're, you're, you're putting, you know, you're putting quantities of, you're putting ownership as the, as the security mechanism. And then that's inherently political because you're, you're basically creating a moving target of what is what is equitable distribution because uh, you're never going to achieve perfect and isn't that just like left wing versus right wing politics? I don't, you know, I, I I don't really I can't escape these kind of thoughts when I look at things like that. Um, so now we we take away the human element and because Satoshi whoever they are figures out how to do um, how to do payments without people and here it is and we're figuring out if it's really going to work but in in that sense i also can see it as being a movement and i'm careful drawing this analogy but like um it's because i've been watching um trauma zone the adam curtis documentary if you haven't seen that but uh i think it could be a movement like marxism or capitalism or um something like that like an, an economic uh mode of thought or a political line of thinking um, around how to use money in the economy. It, when you think about it again, we, we 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 like to analogize Bitcoin to gold, um, and and through the age of time, we we've as you've just uh, alluded to, we've had different forms of payments uh, of cash of a medium of exchange. If you think about let's say you're a tribe that values feathers if you travel across many plains and mountain ranges and you you reach a, another settlement feathers mean nothing they're worthless because they're collecting marbles or uh, animal bones of of um different rarity and then you fast forward to like the gold rush we believe consensus was reached on gold it it was not like you know that was proven when the mayflower landed coast of america and you know the the local tribe pocahontas tribe uh you know that they were still busy trading in clamshells like yeah here's a tra- well, there were, here, and there were different types of gold in europe right as right. Uh, nick as lay and money nick Gartier's book points out right there was it took a long time to settle on even just the florin as a standardized unit of gold so we never actually ever reached consensus on gold on gold itself like, like nowhere near not, not even close and now today and if you take where we're sitting today you're sitting in the uk i'm sitting in france if i turn up in the uk with a bunch full of euros and i walk into a pub i have nothing i cannot yeah. buy a drink and vice versa you come down here to a local town and ask for a you know a, a, <laughs> a charcuterie platter and uh, and uh, uh, a beer, please, civil play, monsieur. And you show him pounds. Forget it. Like you're yeah. not getting served. You're getting laughed out. So we've not got close to evolving mm. onto a global monetary standard, a consensus, something that is completely fungible. And this is this is why I believe it is an evolution. Yeah, we also didn't have an interconnected world like we do now in terms right. of information even even when there were printing presses 
and such. They were done in local languages. You know, the vernacular to spread information in the Middle Ages and right up until the early 18th or late 18th century was Latin. It was the only, it was like the ling, yeah. it was the lingua franca, right? It was the common tongue. Um, and they never, and the common money was gold. At least they couldn't agree necessarily on like standardization, but at least if you had gold, I could go from France to the UK and I could give gold to people. Um, and I would get something in return. Uh, that's why, you know, the Spanish, the English, the, everyone went around looting the world, right? <laughs> to get yes. as much gold as possible because it was very, it was fungible as a money. Um, everyone at least recognized that the shiny thing was attractive or, you know, was a good means of exchange for people who disagreed. Um, we didn't, I think the, yeah, I, I don't, I, I doubt had, um, had the Bitcoin protocol, had Nakamoto consensus, whatever you want to call it, had, um, you know, Bitcoin being discovered pre-internet as in had someone solved the Byzantine generals problem, you know, back in a typewriter mechanical world era would anyone have ever thought it was by a, a useful discovery for money i'm not sure uh, i think the fact that bitcoin was like the output of bitcoin the token was proposed as money like right off the bat um not that i'm you know able to speak for satoshi or anything but i do think that it's it's uniquely possible as a, as a thought experiment or as an idea because it's like well we do have computers now and we do have them all interconnected um and we can we can pass information at the speed of light is is mad is completely yeah, it's mad. quite powerful <laughs> <laughs> and there's just to we, we can put a pin in this uh, uh after this point um the gold rush and croesus has written about um the gold rush in the us uh, and i looked into it as well uh you know people were dying just trying to cross from east to west to go and pan mm -hmm. pan for gold like we're just mm -hmm. panning in a stream like th this yeah. was th think about how mad that is you you know you have when you set off on that journey you have x percentage chance of not making it like actually dying a pretty gruesome death either you're going to yeah. fall to your death or you're going to freeze or you're going to be killed and scalped yeah <laughs> well imagine as well going from like um you know, the coast of Portugal round the Horn of South Africa yep. over to Indonesia to, okay, they're going to go and pillage everything. But the, um, you did that in an old wooden boat. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's comically dangerous by today's standards. Like, you know, you got into this, into this thing and went out into the ocean. I mean, I don't think anyone today would, would think like, oh yeah, I, I fancy those odds. You know, your first question would be like, what about the weather? What about, you know, it's um it's quite staggering that the human risk appetite when faced with you know lack of comfort or like so much to so much to build even though back then it couldn't possibly have been conceived of uh it really does push humans to do things that are quite surprising right we're very as a species it's i find that gives me a lot of optimism we're very good at, at refusing to um think something impossible as a as a mass and now, instead of me having to sail around the uh, around the Cape in an old wooden boat just to go and pan in some far-off remote river, I can open my Relay app and smash by five euros worth of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And it's done. And then send it to Timbuktu, right, in a millisecond. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
with no <laughs> with no uh with no like the other thing that's so easy to take for granted is the no third parties thing right if you uh mm-hmm. that you can send that peer-to-peer is is astonishing i still there are moments when i'm if i'm using bitcoin i i, I mean nowadays i'm pretty much exclusively on lightning but if i do go back and do something on chain um i still marvel at like whoa it's just like no one involved in this it's just it's just me and the counterparty right and it's very uh it's very like mind-bending if you pause and sort of take it in for a minute anyway epiphanies aside uh, i hope mm. that has cemented some of the conviction in some of the listeners if they were worried about uh, their position in bitcoin the only worry you should have about your position in bitcoin is you do not have enough you are always short bitcoin believe us yes i i, I would tend to agree with that i yeah <laughs> i never feel like i have enough <laughs> all right let, let's talk about what you were doing before you came to the, you know, the seat that you're sitting in at the moment, because uh, this is always a fascinating journey for most people. And the listeners always love uh, listening to people's personal journeys. What were you doing pre-Bitcoin before you even found Bitcoin? Explain your life. Describe what was going on. Um, so in the late 80s, I was born. No, I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, I you was, can uh... start there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a the uh, I mentioned at the beginning. I graduated having spoken or read French and Spanish, um, and I was uh, it was an you know humanities degree. I I'm probably the definition of a frustrated creative, and I fancied myself as being uh, quite arty when I graduated, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a film director. So I tried to do I tried to do that. I made three films. Um, like shorts and then went broke is the short answer right. that's why i'm not that's why i'm not at can um but the <laughs> uh i i'm in my i was in london uh then and i uh i was de- i was desperately poor like in, in terms of desperately short of money and i was starting to sell things in my apartment to make ends meet and i gave up and i googled top paying job london and uh, this was like post just post recession spain was spain and italy were still a mess economically but mm-hmm. It was like right after the job market was not good. Um, anyway, number one hit banking, obviously. Uh, so I went off and did a master's in finance in Spain uh, to basically retrain uh, and was lucky enough to get a uh, job as pretty much as soon as I began that master's. So I went straight from there into investment banking um, with a focus on tech, media and telecoms. Because when I did, um, the one thing I did pick up when I did VC was I I, I am a nerd. I, I like in, as a teenager, as a kid, I've always I've like built computers. I was a massive uh, fan of the whole like uh, music piracy scene back in the day. I, I'm I'm really I'm a really big music fan, and so I was able to collect like rare Prince bootlegs and stuff like that, and that that really got my um, awareness up of like P2P technologies and and encryption and stuff like that. Um, and I saw that the only industries that were really marrying uh, anything interesting in finance with anything interesting in technology were stuff like growth investing, venture capital, yada, yada. So I went into banking to do uh, with a tech focus with my eye on uh, moving, like moving on to try and work in venture capital. Um, and I come from uh, a family that's worked in video games their whole lives. And I grew up a pretty avid and very overweight gamer, and uh, <laughs> when I went to when I went to um, 
when I when I was working uh, during you know school holidays time off term etc I was always I was working for a video game development studio and so I I was always very close to that world and I concentrated um, com- like my career on video game related things because I I just felt I knew that industry well enough to to be useful I guess and um, so that, long story short I, that led me to venture capital I was on the full um, Fiat train at that point, you know, get get uh, returns, etc. Um, and I was focused on investing in video games. And I'd been lucky enough during my investment banking time to work on a number of quite high profile video games um, transactions, mergers and acquisitions. And uh, one of which was uh, Epic Games' fundraise in 2018, for example, the guys that make Fortnite. So they uh we also became their in-house bd for a little bit as the uh, not bd corp dev uh for a little bit as the bank so we were doing we were helping them with subsequent acquisitions that they used that money that they'd raised to buy you know more technology for their engine um and i got a big i got this really big eye-opening window into like uh the gaming like the commercial reality of gaming uh like payments you know how they collect payments you know stuff like that and I had gotten introduced to Bitcoin simultaneously just as I was leaving, um, uh, just, well, sorry, just as I was getting my career going in gaming and banking. So that was around, I'm class of 2015, I think, is in Bitcoin speak. Um, and because of my awareness of um, P2P and encryption from file sharing era, uh, I remember when my friend who showed me Bitcoin for the first time, he was Argentinian and using it to send money home. He showed me a Bitcoin address, the pub key, and uh, I was just—I was just like, "Oh, that's—I uh, know what that is, right?" I, I've seen it before. I was like, "Oh, this is using this is using encryption." Hmm. So that's how it's P two P, and that was that was like my first thought, and I just had so I had an innate um, after dismissing it massively in the conversation to begin with. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh." Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll get some of this. <laughs> so I uh, and I did the learning later. I then went, you know, full um, any coin, starting to understand. I, like I was at the beginning, I was very like, well, I did know Bitcoin was money. It was clear enough. Like the value prop was clear enough. Um, it was written on the bloody cover of the white paper. So I got that like you're gonna spend your Bitcoin to do things. But I thought like, oh well, maybe I'll spend my Bitcoin like on another chain to go use a service on that chain because Bitcoin doesn't do smart contracts. That that sort of line of thinking, I didn't know about state and database management and all these kind of things, like sharing state and all that stuff that comes into smart contracting and you realize why it's going to be a bad layer one idea. Um, anyway, the so I was, I think in the peak of the ICO bubble, I finally, I sort of had this panicked realization as I was sitting on significant gains in, you know, deliver in trader speak uh and i was like i have no idea what i'm holding here like i had i had bitcoin but i also had like five ten other currencies and i just thought i've done i don't know what these do uh so i, I panic sold everything uh including my bitcoin and uh paid off all my student loans and got myself like out of uh out of debt and then uh that freed me that liberated me to go back to the beginning to decide what i was going to do with my career next maybe because i didn't have any kind of like i didn't need a banking bonus to pay off my student loan um so i uh looked outwards to vc joined vc worked on finding games investments uh whilst now i was doing now i was like actually doing a reading on bitcoin like i'd I'd decided it was i knew instinctively at the beginning it was something different and now i decided to learn like what 
what was so special about it. So that was, you know, running a node and doing all of that stuff. I think you just have to use the software to learn it because it's 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 not a concept. It is real, so you can download it and run it, right? <laughs> so like I did, I did that, um, and I often think that's a major step for people to like get get your head off of a trading screen and instead go to you know the website or go to GitHub, download Bitcoin Core and run it. It's not going to kill your computer. Like just just download it and run it. And you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to commit your life savings to it. But now you can poke around, right? And you can you can mess up and you can figure everything out as you go. And you'll be you're running a node that like you're doing. You know, it's on your PC. Um, that I I feel that we a lot of messaging is missed around like that first step as as a path to Bitcoin. People just getting like people learned Napster. People learned BitTorrent. People learned all these weird open source crypto things that came out. And I use crypto to mean cryptography, like in the past why don't we do that with bitcoin um i also think it would stem it would help wallet adoption where things like blue wallet are obviously fantastic in their ui um but and sparrow is magnificent on desktop um but this you know we're, we're still early days here but there really isn't a super 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 friendly you know uh anyone can use it wallet that is also a node moon is great on phones and stuff but, but Anyway, we're getting on a tangent. I started. Um, I started. Yeah, I started going down the rabbit hole, as you can tell. And then uh, I, I became so convicted that I was, I was really, I, I was even sort of talking to them. Should we just not buy Bitcoin as a fund? Like, <laughs> um, and they were sort of going, like, "Oh, that's, yeah, maybe." But um, the I met Zebedee at that point, uh, looking for game stuff, and Zebedee, you know, was a fintech doing putting Bitcoin in games by Lightning and. I mean, it was just like it was it was the sector I was working in, the industry I was now fundamentally interested in, the movement I was also interested in. Um, so it all just kind of came together. And after uh, investing in the team, uh, Simon and Andre and Chris, the, the three co-founders, were like, why don't you just come and join? And so I did. Mate, that's awesome. All right. I'm going to ask, I'm going to poke questions at you throughout that whole story. And I'm going to start with, your your family business was into video games. Is that what you said? Is that correct? No, my my parents both worked in the video games industry. That's how right. we met. Okay, but yeah. your parents worked in a video. Now this is cool because this must be around the time of. I mean, your parents. I'm 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 guessing they were building their careers throughout the the late '60s through to the early mid '80s in a video game era that was. Yeah. Video so games only really came about in the late seventies, but yeah, they both. Right. Um, I know. Well, my dad. I remember my dad seeing he got involved in it by someone inviting him to come and help out with a games company, and it was like when it was a startup, and then he ended that ended up being by, bought by Activision, and then he hmm. joined Activision. Um, no way. My yeah, my mum was in. Uh, she's like she's very arty, and she was a graphic designer, and was working for a lot of magazines in London in the eighties, and got into. Um, video game uh, packaging and box art and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And they met uh, at Activision in the UK when it was, when Activision in the UK was like 15 people or something. You're kidding, man. All right. There's a lot of listeners that have pinned their childhood to these days. Right. And I'm thinking those of us growing up early eighties, uh, well, yeah, mid yeah, mid-80s, early 90s, when we were all of a sudden 
instead of just having four television channels to keep you occupied, you had the choice of a Super Nintendo or a Sega Mega Drive. Yeah, yeah I, I had to Mega Drive. My friends all had Nintendos. Um, I was a Mega I Drive guy. Sonic. I yeah. loved Sonic. I couldn't get <laughs> yeah. enough of it. Right? So it, and so many... So this is the, the funny thing now, because I see my kids... They love the video games and all of the parents, you know, I'm 46 and everybody in my network around the same age, kids aged between eight to 15, for example, all complaining, oh, all they want to do is play on their video games. And like, yeah, don't you remember that? Like, all I wanted to do mm -hmm. is play EA hockey. Like, in, in I, I didn't oh, yeah. even, I never watched ice hockey in my life, but man, did I want to play EA hockey uh, and uh, on the mm -hmm. Mega Drive. Um, and Sonic, you've got yeah, um, so huge. any brothers or sisters as well like two, the, two younger you know, brothers being... this is all we would do yeah exactly pga to a yeah. golf i remember we would just spend hours playing uh the uh the golf game uh and we bought the, the the sega mega drive that came free with altered beast i remember that was what, <laughs> yeah. whatever year i'm doxing <laughs> yeah, my age I just, yeah a real blast from the yeah. past uh and, yeah, it was um, um it was Mortal Kombat was the one that uh my dad's uh, the company my dad was working for did and that was like what really blew everything up for them because it the that game went like huge in the early nineties. Um and then it was the next then it goes to like N sixty four era and I was playing a lot of Churok. Uh I used to play a game called Extreme G, obviously Goldeneye. Um mm -hmm. but my real my real like peak competitive gaming phase was probably like halo like xbox one and halo and then uh counter-strike when it was on pc at like v1.4 v1.5 whatever that was i don't i don't know if this is too gamer chat for you but uh I, and then i got like i got really into rpgs um elder scrolls 4 was the one that like exposed me to like big open world rpgs i don't mean like grand theft auto i mean like these like game of thrones more like that kind of style um and i think i blew like 120 hours on that game and i was at my friends at school when we were teenagers were also all playing it i think collectively we put in like a ridiculous amount of time like a thousand hours or something uh we all we all refused to complete it until we had done everything in the game like until there was nothing left to do so we played it for bloody ages um and since then i've always been like a gamer who goes for single player like epic rpgs so i love the new cyberpunk for example like contrary to the reviews i absolutely i thought it was brilliant um i've just finally very late started red dead redemption 2 and then i play um i play multiplayer competitive shooters as well because they're like stress relief but uh i'm i'm rubbish at call of duty it's <laughs> i'm more of a counter-strike and split gate player so you're still gaming to this day yeah 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 I, like i don't think you you definitely change. You definitely change. I, I, you know, without being, um, without sounding like a loser. When I got to university, I had uh, more pressing ideas on my mind than playing games in my dorm room all time, all the time. But um, when I, so I really did kind of veer away from spending much time playing games through that and the beginning of my career, where I was, I lacked time. Um, as you get older and start to settle down, like it, the first, I mean, the first thing that happened to me during the the um, lockdowns was I started playing games but it was it was just like oh i've got hours to kill mm -hmm. might as well fire up this dusty old xbox and <laughs> see see if it still works <laughs> so you were in the perfect position you're a gamer 
you're now working for a uh, a venture capital fund that is looking specifically to invest in up and coming video game companies and you're a bitcoiner at the same time and along come the founders from zebedee were you in the pitch did you uh, did you did you listen so to that I'm, i met uh the guys so first i met simon and chris who are the uk side sorry for the sirens i live on a busy london road but um i first met simon and chris at a bitcoin developer meetup in london and they would i was going because it was the first time i was going to be able to use lightning uh in the wild like i i don't have many bitcoin friends i'm not gonna lie and so like i had i had you know lightning wallet set up and i've had nowhere to spend it and i couldn't find places online to go and like readily test it so i was going to this to use it and um lo and behold these these two guys get up and say and present themselves as zebedee to like the room and it was a room of bitcoiners and then demoed this game that was essentially like mortal Kombat or tekken like a beat-em-up except that as i punch you i take your sats and as you punch me you take my and like a, it was just like a really crude demo but it was my my head exploded i was like aha okay and now i get to use lightning so i paid into the game and dropped a bomb on the arena in real time and i was just like this is going to take off. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have doubt. So I, um, I took. I brought it back to the fund, and I just. Uh, I was. I was extremely bullish. Uh, the the company, I think, was maybe a month old at that point. Um, I don't know what it was like from Simon and Chris's side, but in my head, I encountered them, and I thought, okay, I don't know how many people have seen this team or this company or this idea. I need to. I need to make sure it gets invested in. Um, and we so we seeded them at Lakestar, and then. Uh, the team went about, you know, developing the technology into a, into something that other games developers could use to put in their games, and so they wouldn't have to think about Lightning. Because we, like, one thing I do think um, I like to be real with myself about is I, Bitcoin. Like most people, just don't care about Bitcoin, even if you've got really into it. Like most people, just don't, they just don't care. And even if you're, I've, and I've tried this enough with my friends like, in the pub and stuff. You know, you start going off on one and telling them about how it works and there's five minutes of interest and then there's let's watch the world cup, you know, <laughs> they're just like done with this now. Right. Um, so I think that giving it, you know, giving Bitcoin out to people in games and uh, is a very, very clear way of get, distributing Bitcoin and, and getting it into people's hands. Um, you know, I think folks like Thunder Games also realized this incredibly early on. They were at the beginning, it wasn't just Zebedee alone. There was a Bitcoin lightning gaming scene and it was, uh, Thunder, it was uh, Con, the guy from Donner Lab. He's now at Blockstream, I think. He just, he just posted that he's infused World of Warcraft with Bitcoin using our API. So I was like, what? Nice. nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there was like a scene, right? And, that, and it kind of grew out of that. Um, but we, when, they, when the technology got sort of deployed and started to scale, the team was getting ready to open up to games developers and start a sales effort. And um, we got a preview of, uh, the integration they'd done in Counter-Strike and um, there was, you know, talk of raising when they were going to raise the Series A and uh, we felt at Lakestar that we had, at this point, that we had such a good insight into the company and uh, it's like potential. But by this stage as well, other partners in the fund had come around to Lightning and were very, like, we were, you know, we're looking into it. A couple of people had started running their own nodes. Like it was, you know, Lakestar knows what it's doing when it comes to uh, Bitcoin and the, and the wider crypto ecosystem as, as poisonous a term as that is on a, on a Bitcoin podcast. I think they really, they really do have an approach that is very sensible. 
Um, and so we we felt very comfortable preempting the round, and we so we we put more money into into Zebedee, and and then I um I had obviously been spending like loads and loads of time with founders and gaming VCs and other people in the gaming space, and so I uh, reached out to people and I said, look, this round is coming together, you know, preempted. Um, all of you are in the games industry. The critical thing here is that this company is credible, like. It doesn't, it's not pushing a token. It's not pushing, it's not even pushing people to buy Bitcoin. Like it's not out there saying like invest in this thing. It's a really good tool for doing payments in games. It just, it fundamentally is, even if you take the Bitcoin out of it. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those folks really saw the opportunity. So, you know, some of the um, gaming angels uh, like uh, Hilmar Peterson, who's the founder of um, CCP Games, which makes EVE Online. It's like the oldest and biggest MMO out there, and it's famous for its simulated economy. Uh, he invested in us, and he's we still discuss things and, and kind of strategize around uh, ways Zebedee can, can do things. Um, we also got the founder of a major mobile gaming studio that sold to Zynga called Small Giant Games to invest, and, and you know, like a slew of others. But basically, we got games industry people to come in and actually say, like, well, if you're really going to grow into this market, you need to you need to think this way and do this do things this way because no one cares about Bitcoin. Um, so now we've started, you know that. And at that point, I had lost all perspective, and I had become, mm-hmm. I was I was basically spending 85, 90% of my time talking to and working with Zebedee. And so that that was when the guys just said, "Why don't you, why don't you join?" And I had a and Lakestar, the VC fund I was at, was incredibly uh, gracious about it. They they both recognised that this was happening, but also were like you clearly need to like go go do this um so then uh yeah so i started just as the a was closing and then uh the main mission i've been on for the last year and a bit is um bringing games developers into the ecosystem and evangelizing the zebedee mission essentially so i want to ask about what's going on in the vc world now because you're probably still very much connected to that network uh mm. and the difference the stark difference between a classical venture capital fund that's trying to figure out the next best thing in crypto land and you working for Zebedee and trying to build a bitcoin company or using the lightning network there's a huge difference between bitcoin only venture capital funds and crypto bro venture capital funds mm. money seems to be it falling. should be noted there's also there's also a, the majority of the market which is normal venture funds who have no position on crypto yeah absolutely where where um so yeah in those three domains where do you see the main flows at the moment uh i am wary to talk here because i have actually legitimately been uh out of the game so to speak for a little while now i only have you know i have friends who like personal friends who happen that i know from that industry because we got close um but i would say it's very clear the market is petrified everyone knows that investing is really slowed down everyone knows that too the one bright spot i actually think is has been underreported on or is people who work in Bitcoin there, but Bitcoin VCs are a bright spot. They are, you can see it. They are still actively investing. They're still actively looking for Bitcoin projects. Um, I really think like the, the, 
the Bitcoin community sort of attitude is is very much like the apocalypse now. Like I love the smell of napalm in the morning type character, right? It's just like ah, disaster. Let's go, <laughs> let's go do some work, right? <laughs> so I think that the 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 Bitcoin VC scene is is really thriving and just getting going, and it's very, you know, like like looking at the VC as a macro thing. The way VC ecosystems get started is at first by seed funds, and then those seed funds have successes and they become early stage funds and then they become growth funds and then bigger capital comes in and joins in and become, you know, joins the growth ecosystems. So uh, I would, I, I am really encouraged by the growth in, in uh, Bitcoin VC. And there's definitely like an alternative timeline parallel universe out there where I wound up being a Bitcoin VC instead of like joining Zebedee or something. I, I, you know, I don't know, but um as it is, I'm just too into video games and, and the mission. I've, I got a bit bored of investing. I won't lie. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a uh, you know for for an outsider looking in, it feels like such a, a glamorous position to be sat to be able to sit there with the golden pen and write a check on a project that, for whatever reason, you believe in and 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 is you know set you know kind of sparked an interest. Uh, for you but it's not like that right it, it, it there's a lot of hard work and draining due diligence kind of work and you know you, you don't have there is a lot of that pen. and you you know 99 times out of 100 you're saying no mm-hmm. so you do you do you do uh it's I, I don't like talking about companies in this way but you do screen hundreds or thousands of companies right mm-hmm. and you over the course of a year and the amount of people you meet is not, it's not possible for the human brain to like keep tabs on everyone because you, you just have too many meetings. But um, I do think, uh, and I still believe that venture capital uh, as a model, uh, you know, applied properly is one of the most phenomenal tools in sort of, I guess, capitalism to just uh, promote uh innovation or to, to fuel innovation um you know the first venture capital funds were to build ships to go into the ocean right so that that they that was the venture um and it's lasted you know america popularized it in the early 80s or was it late 70s the first sort of sand hill road vcs and i still think um the best investors out there and i you know i've got several uh people i admire are people who recognize a good idea or see an opportunity to cause disruptive change and are willing to put money to work to see that outcome happen, you know, especially if there's an entrepreneur uh, with with a shared vision or their own vision or whatever it might be. But there's that sort of meeting of minds and here's money available to go do this crazy experiment. That's that's very powerful. And, you know, most of the... uh, in a, most of the sort of scaling of the disruptive power of the internet was obviously VC funding, uh, or at least began with VC funding, which is where I think it's become you know, so widely recognized as a as a segment of finance now. But um, it's important to keep in mind, though, that VC within the broader financial ecosystem is like a, the tiniest drop in the ocean. Uh, it is a subset of private equity. Which itself is, you know, three to five x larger than than VC as an entire industry, and um, you know, I, I think uh, lately it has been a bit of a, it's it's like what banking was in the eighties uh, to like young as for young people who want to start their careers. It's like oh, if you get into VC, like you're kind of making it, so you can you've got a really good road ahead of you. And 
maybe that's true maybe it's not but i i definitely when i was kind of graduating from my masters and looking at vc it was still very small as an industry in europe like it was it was the the funds were not they didn't have the management fees they have today because they hadn't been successful yet and uh they were running very lean uh and they were hyper focused so it was i don't know i've seen it i've seen it, it's great the industry itself has grown in sort of people count i guess and assets under management significantly over the last decade so if- what I'm really interested to find out from you, because you've sat on the other side of the fence here and well, you've sat on both sides of the fence, right? You're now in a chair where Zebedee might need to raise money and therefore you yeah. need to go to market and find those Bitcoin only venture funds. Uh, so for, for other entrepreneurs and plebs out there that are building their own thing, I mean, that they do have a way to fund themselves very, very early stage and very small amounts. Uh, you know, they can just list their project on Geyser, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for that next round, if they if they want angel investors, some seed money to say, hey, guys, I've got this idea. I think it works. The Bitcoin ecosystem is desperately needing a solution for this, say inheritance planning or whatever. How should that person go about securing the the cash that they need and and avoiding the pitfalls i guess because it, it if they end up taking the wrong money for want of a better word that could tie them up in all kinds of shocking scenarios whereby the the venture capitalist all of a sudden is veering them in a direction that they don't want to go but because the venture capital fund has the money there, they have influence. And for them, it's all about the exit. Yeah. So what, what are the pitfalls? I'm not so, yeah. I'm not as sure it's as, as scheming as that. I think it's right. that you're, you're a business running out of runway and you need your investors have lost the appetite to continue investing because mm-hmm. you haven't got the revenue. So you have to turn to find paths to generate revenue and love it or hate it. If you're in the Bitcoin industry, an option that is always there waving its hand is, well, support broader crypto and you'll instantly, you know, three to five X your volume. And if it's a life or life or death scenario for your own business, like I don't know how many folks would really be able to hold their heads high and say, no, I, I shut it all down and my shares are now worthless and all the last five years of work is now, uh, not, you know, is now moot. I don't, I don't know that it's like there's people pushing an agenda on, on, on boards in the majority of VC funds. It definitely exists, that behavior. I've seen share purchase agreements that oblige token sales, but I think it's very easy to tar with a brush and I don't think it's true um there's more there's much more nuance right all these companies are private and aren't sharing their financials with their users we don't do that for obvious reasons um but the so you never know what situation a business is in and i I don't think people should necessarily take that take for granted that the companies they're a customer of are necessarily like fully amazingly performant and you know set up for the next decade if they've had vc funding in all likelihood they're loss making and they're trying to raise more money to eventually get to a scale where they can pivot that model, right, and become profitable. Um, but the main pieces of advice I'd give to people who are wanting to build companies that are building on Bitcoin is 
one yeah go straight like definitely go straight to the bitcoin vcs the appetite is all there and they know what they're talking about you don't have to get over that hurdle um but know that a deck you aren't done when you've got a deck like everyone focuses on i've got a presentation but you you need you need a business model to support that you need uh, a hiring plan you need like ideas around what your org structure is going to look like and this stuff doesn't necessarily go in a presentation but you need to demonstrate that you're about to build a business not an idea um i think that's like one thing to keep in mind so we used to say uh, like a, a good piece of advice we used to often give our uh, give founders in vc was once you've done your presentation you have this overwhelming urge to press go and start emailing investors asking for money but really you should actually then pause and take another two weeks to collate all of your documents get like your cap table together and actually have a diligence pack that you can share to an investor so if they love you in the first meeting you have something you know you can say now let's do this um otherwise you know you can just momentum can stall and then the investor can come to the conclusion early that actually maybe you're not ready to start a business yet um so there's that side of it uh the other side of it is don't be as narrow as the bitcoin vcs and it's not binary you don't have to, if you if you can't get a bitcoin vc you don't have to choose a crypto vc the crypto vcs are much more like hedge funds and even how they're actually established they're like fully liquid things they are different legal entities to a traditional vc fund so they 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 are actually a different kind of investor of course they are therefore going to push you to create something liquid that can be sold because they are like a hedge fund um a v- you'll, i think bitcoiners would find that actually traditional vcs are desperate to find credible ideas in what they would call crypto and web3 and they don't have opinions about coins or like which one is better they don't they don't in many cases they're also trying to get up to speed um so if you've got a sound business model and a good idea speak to normal vcs too and you know don't it doesn't your idea you haven't invented bitcoin have you so like your idea is a business so pitch the business don't pitch bitcoin um you're using bitcoin right and that's another i think key piece that often gets missed because bitcoin's very exciting but if the investor can always just choose to buy bitcoin themselves so why would they invest in you if like that's your only thing interesting and the at time of recording the 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 case of casa springs to mind immediately uh just mm. yesterday they dropped the bombshell that they're now going to be supporting uh ethereum and helping um secure safely uh your ethereum and obviously that's turned the bitcoin community on its head Many of us believed Casa were Bitcoin only and would remain Bitcoin only. And, and Jameson and, and Nick themselves were Bitcoin maximalists. And now you've got to wonder, is this being pushed by some kind of venture capital money? Where does this, you know, it, it's all up in the air. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks to few months. Because uh, it just mm. seems like a, a really strange decision from a, an outsider looking at that company. Yeah, I, I don't really have a, an opinion or anything of like valuable to add i think um the way i look at it is that the latest non-partisan data on bitcoin shows that it has 31.5 million dau and this is from the most punitive source or 32 and a half or something 
This is from the most punitive source you could possibly ask for how many people are using Bitcoin. It's from the Bank of International Settlements. So like their own <laughs> research team are concluding that Bitcoin has 32 and a half million DAU. That's a that's a that's a very solid user base for a cryptocurrency. It's definitely number one. Um, but it is miles away from scaled audiences in internet culture, right? It's um, it's a fifth of what is it? What I don't can't remember what Twitter's user base, but it's like it's it's a sub, you know, it's like a tiny fraction of even Twitter's user base. And then of Twitter's user base, you know, assuming it's proportional, the number of people who uh, like are flaring up on social media and and getting upset is a drop in the ocean of the wider audience who are being exposed to Bitcoin. Um, you know, and I think uh, the more interesting things to focus on to me are like, as opposed to business decisions of individual companies and, and pointing fingers is to look at the rate of adoption of Bitcoin in some markets like emerging markets, look at the, look at the product market fit gap there. If you think you have an idea and you think you can do something, go, go do it. Right. Like if you want to see Bitcoin adopted, look for opportunity and pursue it. And you'll quickly discover the challenges of building an, a self-sustaining business model when you're Bitcoin only. Um, it is, you are effectively a payments business. Um, it's hard to, you know, how, what else can you be with money? <laughs> like, <laughs> you can be that or a bank, right? And so, and no one wants a bank in Bitcoin. So, um, you know, it's, you've got to like, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is a nascent ecosystem and it is hard building a business with no crypto, just building a standard fiat business is a challenge. Most people do not succeed when they start a venture, right? 40% uh, of companies pass series A. So you, you really quickly get whittled down. So when you throw like, oh, I'm going to build a Bitcoin business in the mix there, then there's, you, you know, it, these, this requires conviction and it requires work. So I, I, I really... Um, I, yeah, I just don't really have a strong opinion on on business decisions from companies who work in the space because you once you work in it, you realize how challenging it is to monetize like ethically and appropriately. Right? It's um, you, every Bitcoiner knows what the Bitcoin audience wants, but there is also just the realities of life. EAU mm -hmm. daily active users is that? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yep. yeah. okay. Daily just, active users. Just to uh, just to clarify for anyone scratching their heads. Which, you know, this brings us nicely now to Zebedee and what you guys are doing. What, if it, for those people that aren't aware of the, the product or the service that you provide, do you just want to give the quick pitch and then we'll get into uh, certain use cases and successes and failures and all of that good stuff? Yeah, um, we let games developers use open, instant and programmable money in their games is the gist of it. Um but you can, yeah, it's a, it's a lightning API that's specialized for video games. So a game developer can build games and reach an audience uh, and pay them sats, receive sats from them, allow them to do cool things with sats as a link to game events. Uh, like shooting people could cost you a few sats or getting a headshot could win you more sats or like concepts like that. Um, and we, yeah, we, we there's no understanding of the lightning network required because no games developer has time to a look into bitcoin and b then go ahead and set up a node and then c scale it to 100 million dau for they get like this not, not going to happen so um we do the lightning provision and we do uh, and we're, we're regulated so we do the compliance as well which is kycing users and uh making sure that people aren't laundering money in the games um i know that's uh bitcoiners love no kyc but uh, unfortunately, the games industry has a long track record of discovering money laundering in their platforms when they've enabled payments. Uh, the most significant or well-known being 
uh, Counter-Strike uh, was used rampantly by Russians to launder money in the early 2000s. Um, so like there's you, it's a non-starter to <laughs> to start trying to get around uh, compliance with it when you're talking to games businesses. It's again, it's not a comment on the Bitcoin protocol. It's more just like commercial reality. Okay, so anybody out there that's developing a game that wants to integrate Sats as some kind of reward, you are the one-stop shop. I can come to you and say. Here's the game I envisage, uh, envisage. I want to build this and I want to use uh, Satoshis as a reward. Then I just build on yeah. what? You know, you're talking to a very non-technical dude here. So ah, you would you would open a developer account with Zebedee, which mm -hmm. gives you a, a dashboard where you can send Bitcoin in and you can send Bitcoin out, and then you can create uh, games, which you know the the way the API, which you you connect to your game via API. Like you create a game wallet and you connect that to your game, and now you're with the API. You can make simple commands like pay, send, receive, withdraw, etc. So uh, it's just allowing it. It then goes all over to the games developer side. And even though I've worked in it, I'm not a technical person. So, but you can think of it as you can create. You know, anything, any game logic. Uh, you can cr use to create a game event like a payment or uh, sorry like a like I said a gunshot or a jump or jump you know falling through a hoop or grabbing a coin whatever it is you can now attach a real payment to it in Bitcoin so uh, it's then the design space is open to the games developers we're, we're not games designers we just provide the, the tools to put Bitcoin in the game so if somebody wanted to make uh, Satonic then you've got a little uh, honey badger running around collecting Satoshis instead of a hedgehog collecting rings. Yeah, I think you've got a very good idea there, actually. <laughs> I would play that. Um, yeah, you, and you would make the rings worth sats. Yeah. Right. How, but you'd be, this is what I'm trying to, you have to provide the sats to give the user. Ah, where does the money come from? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so you most, I mean, games monetize primarily through two means uh, at the moment on mobile um, mm -hmm. ads and in app purchases. But mm -hmm. the games industry itself is very, it's a, everything is metrics driven. It's very, it's a very quantified industry. So when, even when launching a game in like alpha testing or something, it's very common for a games developer to, start doing user acquisition on performance marketing channels at scale. So they're like, I'm going to, you know, put in put more concretely, like I'm going to try and buy 5,000 users in the U S from Facebook. And I'm going to try and buy 10,000 users in the Philippines from this buy. you know, they, they, they test in every market and they look at what the players do in the game. Do they engage to it? Cause these games are given out for free. So they need to know really quickly, is this user going to either monetize through seeing ads or engaging with the product, or are they going to make a purchase? Um, and the two, you can, again, you can combine the two or make them mutually exclusive, whatever you want. These, these models are um, different cuts of the same thing, but the core is that they estimate a lifetime value of a player. They say, okay, these users that I'm getting in the States, they might be worth $5 over their 24 month lifetime, right? They'll play the game for two years and then they'll get, they'll finally get bored and delete it. Um, what if I took, you know, 50 cents of that lifetime value or $1 of that lifetime value and I redistributed it back to them as a reward for their time and attention? Uh, 
would they play more? And the answer is concretely yes. Like we've got a good 20 odd games now, maybe even nearing 30 at this point, like powered by us. And we watch and collaborate with our developer partners to see like what, you know, what kind of performance uplift or that, or are you seeing and what, what's it done to the game? Uh, Cause this is obviously brand new. And we've seen like, in like a, basically incredibly consistently at this point that you're talking about really significant uplifts in uh, the monetization profile of the game. Like then the, the users play more, they're more engaged, they like collecting sats. Um, as a result of that, they become more valuable to the game developer. So they've they've actually like created value in being given uh, Bitcoin as a reward for their time. Uh, and that in that sense, it's nice and scalable because the source of the Bitcoin is the revenue generated by the players. So you're scaling linearly rather than trying to like artificially uh, manipulate an economy or, or, you know, put in other words, in, instead of like issuing your own token to run a game economy and make quick bucks through trap liquidity, you're scaling something that like, it doesn't matter if your user base turns uh, exponential all of a sudden, you won't get short squeezed or trapped or, you know, you won't have something like that happen because you're using your, the revenue that those players are generating themselves. You're doing a rev share with your audience effectively. Um, so it's very, it, it, it's just the scale of the game, the scale of the rewards, it's all linked to the success of the game. What is the demographic that you're finding, uh, that, that is using the, well, uh, yeah, give us, let's, let's start first, a handful of examples of the games that are being built on Zebedee and the kind of demographic, uh, data that you're getting back from that. Uh, yeah, it's primarily casual and hyper-casual mobile games. So think games that you see people playing at a bus stop or, mm. you know, on you know when they're out and about. So Candy Crush, things like that. Um, we've actually got most are actually even simpler than that. Most are things like Solitaire or Sudoku or, you know, missing words puzzles. Um, very, very mainstream in both. And this is deliberate, right, in, in appeal and possible demographics. Um we in our own audience we do see it does skew marginally male but it's it's relatively even um the main thing we notice is that we really are in many territories and in many instances uh onboarding people who've never encountered uh bitcoin or before um we know that because you know we see questions in our community and our support etc where it really is like what have i just got <laughs> what, what is this um or they know they know it's bitcoin they've heard of it but they're like uh, you know they just sort of wanted they want answers so um we it's also one of the reasons we put big fat top up and cash out buttons on the app uh so that because because all these people are pre-coiners by and large um they have no interest in hodling that's one thing and it, we can tell them to hodl as much as we want we can shout it till the cows come home but they don't they're, they're not listening you know they're, they're, they are they you know imagine it's like a um, 45 year old woman in sent you know, in the middle of the USA and she's been playing this game while bored at her desk job. Like she, she has no desire to go buy a, a trezor and start like, you know, hodling. That's not, that's not where the head is at. So if it's like, Oh, actually you can just buy a gift card on bit refill, like instantly, um, job done. And they see and experience the power of lightning. And maybe now they approach Bitcoin with a bit more, uh understanding or a bit less hesitation it's a trojan horse maybe has anyone made a game called trojan horse yet uh not yet i have um 
one of my pet ideas is that I think we would say one of the top games on on our system right now is uh, a game called Bitcoin Miner by Thumb Games, and it's like a you're in a crypto mine and you know you actually get paid Bitcoin for simulating mining. Um, but I thought another good idea would be a uh, fake darknet marketplace called Silk Road, but you actually earn Bitcoin. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that would be quite nice, like irony. What what other fun projects and games have you seen on there? But do you have a particular favorite? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. I like with I pretty much uh, at a stage where every single game that comes out, I just get like over the moon, and I'm like, this is so great, and I love seeing it spread. So, uh, but then we do have games under because games have a lead time to build, right? And it's not like they just come to us and you plug in the Zebedee cable and then everything just works. So especially if the more the deeper the game the longer you need to build things um we do have games under development that should come out in you know the latter half of next year but i'm not the games developers i can't say um that are far deeper and richer in experience um and i think we'll you know there you'll see some more innovative use cases of lightning in this ecosystem where it's not just rewards but actually maybe you can trade between players in a game for bitcoin or Perhaps uh, there's more circularity to the economy um, in terms of you know you could you could in the the time the the money that you're bringing to the game could be invested in game in game stuff and maybe you'll be able to pull out more Bitcoin at the end of it. Um, so there's those concepts are being actively explored and we also just uh, generally have some the the vast majority of the games right now are mobile and we do have some PC uh, titles also hopefully coming out in the next year that again just really level up demonstrating that this isn't just like a mobile payment thing it's a gen- it's a general gaming uh thing that can and then all of the games that use this system speak the same language speak the same money so you could start to get interoperable uh, interoperable behavior between those games in terms of the the value being transferred um that kind of stuff is still conceptual but the you know we, it, it comes in a it builds over time uh effectively the more the more developers we get on board, the more ideas we see, the more excited we get. Um, but equally, the more our audience and our users begin to see the benefits of Lightning and how cool it is and and what it can do. Um, so we're, yeah, we're feeling quite confident about the next twelve to eighteen months. We've got a very healthy uh, pipeline that we've been lucky enough to build up, and we have decent quality games developers working with us. How close are we to this going mainstream? Like, for example. Fortnite running a a monthly competition of a prize of one Bitcoin and it's X amount to join. Mm, I would love to see it. Uh, I don't do forecasting, as you know. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, I think um, I think the really big studios like Activision, Take Two, Electronic Arts, those folks, they are they're a way away from this. Um, there's there's multiple reasons for that. It's not necessarily an ideological position or opinion on Bitcoin. It, it's more like this is subscale or like I need to see uh, a really big commercial use case here. You need to make it obvious to me. Right? So there's very lots of, I mean, it's just very standard. We're a startup. They're a big established company with 40 years of history. Like they're not going to, they're not going to mm-hmm. take a flyer on us uh, with the cash cow. Um, and that is the other thing, right? They're, they're major flagship games why would you mess with the formula if it's like printing you know north of a billion in ebitda every year um there is there's plenty of incentive to continue to build and develop the game 
there is not really an incentive to mess around with the business model unless you can really be sure that this is going to help. I've got um, a pitch for them. <laughs> Go now, for it. If, you, if you're going to charge an entry fee and you want it to be a global thing, then Bitcoin is the answer. You have yeah. now just opened up Fortnite to the globe rather than those people that can send in an entry fee via a credit card with a US dollar account or a pound account. You've just literally blown the doors off your own game. You've redesigned your own game. You could have a, a monthly buy-in for mm -hmm. God knows, a minimal amount, a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. And you have now just included every continent on the planet. And of course, yes, the argument will be, well, uh, you know, underdeveloped nations can't afford the, the, the platform in the first place, can't afford to, you know, have the games machine. Uh, but you'll be surprised how resourceful PPR, people are. And um, Well, they can earn Bitcoin for free from the other mobile games, right? There you go. There you go. There you go. I'm hiring in business development. Do you want to come lend a hand? Just put me in front of the Activision Blizzard CFO. We'll, we'll do it together. Yeah, we, we, we do. We see exactly the same logic. Uh, like we see, I see completely eye to eye with you there. We also, uh, we're very excited by the possibilities of open-ended economies, like, like MMOs, basically massively multiplayer online games mm -hmm. uh, with basically Bitcoin economies. So they are full simulation economies on Bitcoin, where, it, I mean, no, no one is going to jump into this because it's actually incredibly complicated, as you might imagine. It's very easy to say, but then try building it. Um, but, you you know, we, we love the idea of a, there are games out there which have functioning societies in speech marks. Um, players are in guilds or clans. They trade with one another. They And they actually do pull out real money from it, but usually by gray markets that the developer or publisher cannot approve or sanction mm -hmm. or whatever it's very like they don't actually like that behavior so um we could definitely say to them you know you can do this in for reals now uh you can actually sanction it you can know it's got kyc measures in case someone comes in with like you know a million dollars they swipe from somewhere nefarious and tries to sell it for game items which is something common in gaming um you know you've got to lock out that stuff but then uh, you could actually get a simulation of an economy going um and what would what does it mean if you have like a a game going with like a 25 bitcoin gdp economy right like what does it what does it mean like uh it, it's it'll be very interesting what kind of behaviors does that spawn when the same money used in that virtual society or virtual world is completely fungible with the real world like there isn't a barrier uh, it's quite interesting. It will change behavior immediately. I think so, but I don't think we get there like tomorrow, you know, being realistic, staying staying grounded. Um, the guys at EVE Online have a full-time like PhD economist who runs like numerous simulations on their game economy, which isn't even for real money. So it's it, it's it's pretty complicated stuff, especially when you get into like, hundreds of thousands of participants in this virtual ecosystem that has invented its own rules. Uh, yeah, you're wading into a bit of a minefield if you turn up and just say like, Bitcoin fixes this. They're sort of like, <laughs> or it doesn't. <laughs> It'd be great to, to, to run that kind of um, game theoretical experiment in the digital virtual world and see how it improves or 
doesn't improve the behavior of the the online participants uh, to give us some kind of indication of what it's going to mean for you know us in the physical realm uh, mm-hmm. of of what we believe like you know what you and I believe that you know this is clearly a breakthrough for humanity and you know the game theory behind Bitcoin is going to align everybody's incentives and uh, improve societal kind of um, well. It's so broken, as we know, that the systems that we live under, the incentives that we chase, the uh, you know the social construct around us, the, the the governing bodies that overlord us, all has to change. Testing that in the digital realm would be very, very interesting uh, to uh, to see. You begin what... to understand what it might do to power, right? Yeah. Whereas in where power moves. Because um, if you're taking the control of money away from the state, uh, where does the, where does the power coalesce? And the the working theory right now is with in the hands of the people, uh, which is which is very utopian, and and let's hope so. Um, has it ever worked out that way? Yet to be seen in the arc of human history, right? But let's uh, it's not to be a downer at all. I'm I'm full. Of, I'm actually full of optimism because self custody is real. But the um, it's still, uh, yeah. There's still question marks, right? The, the future is not the future is not something I think I feel comfortable making any judgments on when it comes to how Bitcoin continues to be adopted. And video games could be an excellent way to really kickstart adoption um, across all demographics. You know, I, I hope so. I mean, that's the that's definitely our belief. Uh, and we're certainly seeing like very encouraging signs, but I hope so. You've got the old lady playing Sudoku. You've got the middle-aged guy playing, uh, I don't know, some kind of football game. You've got the kids playing Satonic, uh, the, the honey badger. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's everyone, right? It's covering everybody. It's, uh, it's very, very interesting. And you, you've found yourself in a, in a great position mate i mean you must be so happy like to to have this seems Uh, to me as though it's your calling to have found this particular seat i definitely pinch myself uh i think that simon andre and chris were real geniuses for spotting this and and actually doing something about it and building something that really did work um and then the team that has built around zebedee because we're you know just north of 60 people now is so inspiring uh and people are, are really truly very intelligent so yeah I, I definitely if i come across as happy it's because i am like it's a, it's a <laughs> fantastic place it's, it's a fantastic place to work and i do find it yeah i do find it very surprising some days to just kind of sit up on my desk and be like wow okay i work in bitcoin i work in games and this is you know things are going great so it's uh yeah it's a nice place to be i it, while the world has been burning i have to i haven't been feeling too depressed let's put it that way and it's not just gaming companies that can come and use your uh, platform, right? Because we had a conversation about Ad Slice the last time we spoke. Mm, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you just want to like uh, flesh that out? Because I think it's important for plebs to know if they are building something and it doesn't happen to be gaming, they still can come to Zebedee and bounce ideas off of you. Yes. Yeah. That's thanks for bringing that up. Actually, so it's, yeah, it's it's far from our core. Uh, you know, you know, business model, commercial positioning, whatever corporate speak you want to put around it. But ultimately, um, you know, if you are a developer who knows how to, you know, speak HTTP and work with an API and 
wants to build an app that has some sort of lightning payment functionality in it, you can certainly look at the Zebedee API and it'll probably do, you know, exactly what you need. Um, we just have to be prepared for language in our, you know, documentation and in our dashboards and stuff that refer to gamers and games rather than, you know, users and apps. But yeah, broadly speaking, you know, we do have a couple of services building Bitcoin uh, powered apps on top of us at the moment. And if uh, people have good ideas, we're happy to help bring more Bitcoin ideas out there. So let's shill ad slice just for fun. What what, what do <laughs> they do it. and how did you help them? Um they do so they were they built they are an ad tech company and they uh were building a bespoke advertising system that allowed that was targeting gamers so you can see how they ended up discovering us um with the promise of actually just res respecting user privacy a lot more than say a normal ad network does uh, but also concentrating for the brands that do the advertising on like that core demographic and saying hey you know you've got a much more direct relationship here um, I know that I'm not the CEO of this company, so if I just butchered that, I'm I'm sorry, Darina. <laughs> but the, um, but the, the, they wanted to do rewarding the users as well. Um, and they wanted to pay them with real money. Uh, they learned that with real money, it was going to take a while because there are minimum, you know, fiat sizes and there are high transaction fees. Um, they discovered us and they thought, oh, well, if we pay people with lightning, we can send them, you know, fractions of a cent kind of on demand. And that way, we're fill, we're filling our promise of rewarding users for their time and engagement whilst showing them kind of ads they've opted into. Um, the closest analogy I can draw, as I'm sure most people listening will have thought, is like it's like it's like BAT, like the Brave Browser attention token, but uh, but it's actually SAT, and obviously that makes it like magnitudes better and also quite incomparable. I've been running it since the last time we spoke uh probably about a month now and i've spoken to darina as well uh just to get the inside scoop and yeah i've i've earned just from downloading the thing free into my browser and having it running on um in the background i've earned seven over seven thousand sats so just oh, wow nice just for nothing just yeah. for ads on my website that i'm completely ignoring it's amazing <laughs> Yeah, it's quite cool. I'm running it as well. It's uh, it's, I I I I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm someone who runs lots of aggressive ad blocking um, mm -hmm. and that kind of technology. But I've I have opted into uh, Slice because I am willing to. When it comes to Bitcoin, I'm willing to bend over. <laughs> basically, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll watch some ads to get some sats. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it's a great. Yeah, it's a great. Um... It's a great idea, and and I hope it it takes off. Now I get paid to ignore ads. Love it, brilliant, mate. It's been a great rip. I've got to ask you the final question before we uh, before we close it down. If you had one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to, and why? Oh, I never. I didn't know you were going to ask me a final question. Um... Maybe uh, maybe Tim Cook. I'm I'm interested in seeing Bitcoin getting mass adoption rapidly, and so if you could if you could get it if you if someone could get it to the extent that they wanted to do it at a high enough level of power that could reach mass appeal without necessarily having to go about changing the entire governance structure of a nation, 
uh, <laughs> I think like maybe that would maybe that would be a very good thing for Bitcoin, but um, it's a it's a hard one. There's many options there, and I'm sure it'd be uh, interesting to receive a call from Tim Cook to see if Zebedee could uh, you know supply the, uh, the the platform to take the complete app store and the iOS onto a, a Bitcoin standard. Uh, I, I definitely get a bit excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How can people reach you, Ben? What's what's the best way to um to find you? If there's anybody out there that's listened to this and thought, "Well, this is the perfect solution for me and my idea," or if there are people out there that are looking for jobs that they might be able to come and lend their skills, or if there are investors that want to come and speak to you, what what's the best way to to reach out? Um. So I mean, I'm on LinkedIn under my real name. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Bit Spooky, like a spooky ghost with a bit in front of it. Um, and otherwise, our website's zebedee.io. That's Z-E-B-E-D-E-E. -E -E. Um, but I, I think that's it, yeah. Otherwise, I'd, I think if someone's found me through another means, they probably invaded my privacy. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the story of Zebedee? Where did that name come from? Do you know? Uh, it's a recursive acronym that we'll reveal one day. What? Really? <laughs> yeah there's a lot of apocryphal stories about the origins of the name Zebedee and I, I think uh, there may be a time when we choose to reveal or dive into it and I'm not the person to deliver those messages because I didn't I didn't found the business so it's nothing to do with the dog character no it wasn't a dog was it it was in the um the magic the roundabout the magic roundabout yeah uh, might have something to do with that too. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of, it came from a lot of places. So, um, but I, again, I don't want to give spoilers because, uh, <laughs> it's, we joke about it at, at, at the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe there should be a, uh, a Bitcoin bounty, uh, put on somebody solving the, uh, the, the we'll give away some sats. To, yeah. If someone gets it, we could give away a million sats. Or exactly. Like Come on, you're a games company. Let's gamify it. <laughs> We'll start a quest. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, great to hang out. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, everything that you're doing in the Bitcoin space. I think you guys are really killing it and you're going to unlock so many brilliant ideas that people have going forward. You, you've provided the perfect platform. So well done. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks for the kind words. Have a good evening, brother. Take care. Cheers. There you go, plebs. I hope you enjoyed that rip with Ben from Zebedee. Go and interact with uh, with Ben on Twitter. You can reach out to him at BitSpooky. And you can go find out what Zebedee are doing. Go and check out the, some of the projects. I've got another pod coming up soon with another one of the Zebedee crew who are building their own educational app on there geared towards content creators and learners and you will be able to earn sats on both sides of that deal uh, the app is called emeralize and my show with santos will be coming up in the next week to 10 days so make sure to look out for that and go start your own project if this is something that's setting you on fire it could be anything reach out to the zebedee guys see how they can help you and get working and if you need to find people to help you, you know what to do. Get on Orange Pill app. Just download Orange Pill app. I know it's not an Android yet. Go scream at Matteo about that. But it is on Apple and people are already meeting each other on there 
and setting up meetups and setting up workshops. It's already happening. And if you want to use it as a dating app, you know, whatever. You guys, you guys go do what you need to do. Uh, the other show sponsors, please make sure you're checking out their services. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten will unlock a free $10 for you. Relay.ch forward slash Bitten. And if you use the code REL727, that will save you on commission. Head over to Coin Corner. I've got another interview with Danny coming out very soon to fill us in with what's going on out in the Middle East and their tie-up with the royal family out there. We've already won, guys. We've already won. You're not bullish enough on Bitcoin. Believe me. Keep listening to the pods. Keep sharing them. I had a very interesting chat with Pascal Najadi just recently, who is criminally... He's pressing criminal charges against the sitting president or the president that's going to come in in 2023, Alain Basset, for misinformation over the COVID vaccinations and certificates that they had to use to show at bars and restaurants in Switzerland. That is picking up steam. That episode has uh, got a lot of traction as well. And he is a Bitcoiner. Wouldn't you be surprised to know it? So go listen to that one if you haven't already. Make sure you are exploring a CoinJoin service, wasabiwallet.io has got you it's the easiest thing flip open your laptop download straight from the website create your first wallet hit a receive address run some satoshis through it see how you feel make sure you do then get them onto a fresh brand new wallet you don't want to mix your your privacy coins uh, so you can get shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten the bitbox 02 and the code bitten will save you five percent Thank you, everybody, for listening. I look forward to the next show. Oh, but before you go, don't forget, if you want some KYC free sats, you can head over to hodlhodl.com forward slash bitten, new show sponsor, peer-to-peer trading, and they also run the conference, the Baltic Honey Badger, out in Riga in Latvia, and that will be at the beginning of September. Thank you for listening, guys. Catch you on the next show.